0: Up next, on Episode 60 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss the value, or lack thereof, of meta-discussion, how much Big Iron popular websites need, and whether code forking is sometimes inevitable, from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight networks, the high performance content delivery network for digital media and now here's Stack Overflow. one of the rules of
1: Stack Overflow it's a little bit fight club like in that we don't we prefer that people don't discuss Stack Overflow on Stack Overflow
2: yeah uh, and and then you reasons can for this. you can tell by the meta site exactly why we prefer that huh? really you think that's true
1: I actually had one user comment on yep. Twitter Gortak commented. He's like, man. He's like, man. I really fought you on this meta thing, and and now that it's you've opened Pandora's box, I see what you were talking about. Do you, wh- wh- why do you say that, though, Joel?
2: Well, the reason I don't like having meta on any discussion group is that it's something for well, a lot of it is something for newbies, right? Like the first thing that happens, a newbie comes into the discussion group and starts hanging out. They're like, wow, this is really fun. I like this. Discussion group, <laughs> but they have all kinds of feature requests and ideas and stuff like that. like the first thing they want to do is start reorganizing it in their image you know they really? start they start discussing like you know why why can't you sort the things here by color? you know whatever it may be right and now because they're newbies they're they're noticing the same thing that all the other newbies noticed and brought up as subjects of conversation, and because they 're newbies, they don't know that these things have been talked about endlessly. And are boring yes. to the people that actually live in the news group and use it for news or discussion or whatever. Well,
1: isn't that the point in which you, you, the grizzled veteran, would would point to the fact? Yes. And sort of force the user to go Read there. Read the
2: friggin' FAQ.
1: Yeah, um, I, I have noticed that, and actually, that's something that came up on UserVoice a lot. Was that I, I, you would get the same stuff over and over and sure. over, and, and because yeah. And some of it was bugs. Like if it was a bug and it came up over and over, something we could fix, then I would definitely fix it. A lot of my strategy
2: towards bug fixing is just to keep people from emailing me the same stuff over and over. Right, because it just gets boring. But also think about what happens when you have all these people inside the forum or discussion group or what have you. And all they're talking about is the actual way that it works. So like let's say that you get really interested in podcasting gear. You're going to buy some mixers. <laughs> just in theory. Just, just in theoretically, theory. right? So you know Like you're if you knew somebody. Like, yeah, what kind of headphones and what kind of microphone should I use? And when should I do the ADD conversions and, and all that kind of stuff? So uh, you find this awesome podcasting gear website. And you go on there, and the first subject of conversation is who's going to be elected to the podcasting gear website board of directors. And a second subject of conversation is whether the election that was done last year was, was, was orthodox or was it slightly you know there's something suspicious about about that whole thing, and then you find a whole bunch of people arguing about that, and then you find a conversation about whether or not all the people that came in last year from South America who don't speak very good English, should be allowed to hang, or, hang around or maybe they should just you know maybe they could be like read-only members for the first six months, and that's all you find there, and you want to talk about mixers and mics. That's why you came to the site. And they want to talk about – they're bored talking about mixers and mics. They've already had the full mixer and mic conversation all the way to the end, to its logical extreme. They all have now the perfect podcast setup, Except for, you know, there's this one little thing about, you know, whether or not to use monster cables that people still argue about. But – and so all they're talking about on the so-called podcasting gear website is the podcasting gear website itself. Yeah. You see? See what I'm saying? Let's see how yeah. I figure anything that gets. No, I, I do. And
1: actually, I made a comment on Twitter that I, I'd been thinking more about the meta stuff as we launched Meta Overflow, and, and part of the reason I wanted to launch it was that uh, the community needed an outlet. There was a certain section of the community that really, really wanted this.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And... They went to such lengths that they were actually setting up you know, their own PHPBB forums, which I applaud. I mean that kind of initiative. That's great. It's like rather than complain about the problem, like sol- try to solve it, and I totally support sure. that. But yeah. I, I, I couldn't take PHPBB anymore. No, it's like, just like unexcusable. The paradigm is just broken for Absolutely. me. I mean, I've been using traditional web discussion boards for more than ten years now, and I'm just, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Right. I mean, I feel like there's problems they don't even attempt to solve, and the noise factor is just too high, um, and then the other factor that motivated—so that was one factor that motivated—was just like helping me to get off PHPBB because I don't feel like it's a good solution. Plus, I mean, they know Stack Overflow engine, so why it's a logical thing to move forward on? Uh, then the other thing is there's there's still a lot of people that really didn't like user voice. I I like user voice. I still like user voice actually, mm-hmm. but. I, I recognize there's a huge contingent of the community that doesn't like it at all. Like it kind of actively pisses them off. Yep. So I figured they, you know, they must like Stack Overflow, otherwise they wouldn't <laughs> be here in the first place. So although it's not a perfect fit uh, to the problem, I do think that the Stack Overflow engine can work for what what user voice is doing. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like killing two birds with one stone. One is that we have a metasite, and second is that we sort of address the ongoing dissatisfaction with, with user voice. So for the record, meta is going to definitely replace user voice. Okay. no question. Um, I, I just got to figure out what to do. I already shut down the server fault user voice since it was much smaller and mm-hmm. kind of fragmented the community a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and I guess there's a hidden third reason too, which is that I'm kind of wondering how well the Stack Overflow engine works for pure discussion-y type topics, which is a lot, a lot more of what we're going to see on meta. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we had brought this up before, and, and we had talked about putting uh, the business of software forums on the Stack Overflow engine, and you had expressed, and I think rightfully so, concern about you know, whether discussion would really even work in this format. And right. I think having the meta site is a small step towards running an experiment mm-hmm. to see what happens to the discussions. Like, if you ha- try to have discussions in the Stack Overflow engine, what, what, kind of, what will happen? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Um, and I think this is one way for us to sort of find out. So it's really it, – it solves those three things. Well,
2: Meta still has sort of a Q&A approach to it. There's, there's, there's other stuff where um, – Well, I think the
1: engine kind of forces people to act a certain way. It's yeah. kind of like the software.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's controlling a little bit how you act. And I think But of course. Yeah. It's kind of a, you know, yeah. I'm it's all a about that. And everybody's mapping to the template. Even if they don't realize they're doing it, they're still
2: doing it. it uh, yeah. Okay, so meta.stackoverflow.com, go there and poke your eyes out with a pencil because it's so boring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, parts of it can be fun. And it's, one thing it's,
2: I, it's like, it's like, uh, it's um, what they always say, they say it's too inside baseball.
1: Well, and, and it's, tr- it's, t- it's tricky for us because this is our job, like, you know, the Stack Overflow team, this is all we do all day long is right. think about Stack Overflow, right? right? I mean, yeah. But that's not your job. I mean, you as a participant in the community, we're trying to free you from having to think about that. Right. You know? it's, it's sort of like having a good manager as a programmer. A good manager says, okay, look, you don't have to think about all this crappy management meetings I have to go to. All you have to do is do what you're good at, which is programming. And that's the same attitude I have towards Stack Overflow. It's like, you, know, you guys, don't worry about the Stack Overflow stuff. Just you know, go out there and solve programming problems. That's right. what this is about, not discussing Stack Overflow. Um, that's kind of our job. So, for me it's like natural. it's like, of course, you know I go on meta, and it's like, this is what I do all day long. This is no different than <laughs> all the calls I have with you know Jared and Jeff and
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I certainly welcome the community input, but I, I think the thing to bear in mind is I, I think when you're, you're dealing with meta it's a percentages game. Don't spend more than n percent of your time doing meta stuff because meta stuff is not stuff, building a solution, it's not solving a problem, it's just thinking about. The problem space, which you want to do, but I think you want to skew heavily towards action when, mm. in your life. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, otherwise, you're just one of those people that's like a philosopher. You're like, oh, just let's just think about everything. Well, you can think about stuff, but you should also like do stuff, right? I mean, that's how progress is made in the world. Uh-huh. So it, it's a question of ratios. So that's what I would
2: encourage people to ha- how to look at it. So do stuff, yes, folks, do stuff. Go onto the job listing page, jobs.techgorevlo.com, take one of those jobs.
1: <laughs> yeah, get a job. Hey, I got a question for you. Okay. You replied yeah. to one of my Twitter messages about the Sennheiser headphones. Oh, yeah, like- yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. A different friend of mine, who I can't remember who now, told me that he had the Sennheiser headphones, and the the friggin' thing kept coming dis- – the wire kept coming disconnected from the plug. Like well, it broke. My,
1: problem, my problem is a little bit different. So let me, let me put some context around this. So – I had a blog post a while back, and I still believe this. I should probably revisit this topic, that, that good headphones, and by good I mean like $200 and up, yeah. is like a fantastic investment. It's not like compu- buying a computer, which is like it'll be worthless in three years. Headphones are timeless. Yeah. I mean, a good set of headphones will serve you for 10, 20 years. Um, and a, the, here's the weird thing. A really good set of headphones is equivalent to a set of floor-standing speakers of like many, many thousands of dollars. Right. Because they're so close to your ear – and the way they sort of isolate the sound, you'll get the sound experience of having the super high-end yep. stereo.
2: Okay, congratulations, so we- you just invented the Sony Walkman in 1978. Because <laughs> that was the key intuition of the Sony Walkman, right? Everybody who's buying these boom boxes and these big stereo systems, was that s- smaller headphones that go right up against your ear it could be like a million times better. Yeah, totally, mm-hmm. totally. So if, if you like music
1: at all, if you're the type of person that likes to listen to music and can do headphones, really encourage you to go out and just make a an investment in headphones. So with that in mind, I have these I have two sets of really nice Sennheiser headphones like, you know, hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. Not exorbitant, not crazy. I'm not getting into the, you know, fancy electron tuned audiophile cables, which that's crazy land.
2: But, yeah.
1: You know, at, at a nice quality level, but both of these sets of headphones had the same problem in that they eventually developed an intermittent connection in the right, right. speaker. Exactly the same way. And yeah. now it's doing it again. This is the third time. And I've did you, it you
2: send it back and take advantage of their free guarantee warranty service? No, I did not. I oh. didn't know. Well, first of all, they're, they're under warranties. And, and you can just send them back and get a new one. And technically, they're not, uh, Sennheiser is not like the cheapo Kmart, whatever. If you call their tech support, you get a person in America who will help you with your problem. And really? Yeah, this is what Christian said, my friend Christian. He's, he's, he went through a couple of these problems where he sent them back and they replaced them. And finally, he put a note in there when he sent it back. And he said, listen, uh-huh. guys, it's always breaking in the same place. You should address this issue. And yeah. a person called him up, and they sent him a little kit that he put around the thing. It was like a little shrink wrap thing that you heat up, and it like melted around the thing that's supposed to prevent this problem. It. Yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. Well, it's
1: definitely the cable, because the minute I replaced sure. it, because I had two sets of headphones, and I would just swap the cables, and immediately the problem went away. Yeah. Um, so it's just odd. It's like you'd think we have cables down by now. Like the whole cable, that's a solved problem.
2: Um, not,
1: not in Sennheiser's world.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, well, they're certainly aware of this, and they're def- they'll definitely support you if you call them. That's what that's what I heard. That's, that's odd, you to, know, because for for consumer stuff, I have
1: just given up on the concept of support. Yeah, you, you don't. You don't remember. really expect it.
2: But that's why this, no. I mean, these he- Sennheiser headphones are substantially more expensive. And he was my friend Christian was doing this on their cheap, low-end, thirty-dollar headphones. Really? Wow. Yeah. So the nice old ones. You, do you remember? You, there was a this uh, is this was this was, uh, this, was, uh, this, was uh, this goes back a while, but definitely in the seventies, I remember that. Almost all the headphones you could buy for your stereo system were the over-the-ear, or whatever you call it, around-the-surround-your-ear kind, where your ear gets sweaty after about 45 minutes. Oh,
1: I like surround-the-ear.
2: Yeah, some I mean, people like that, some people don't. I couldn't stand it because of the sweaty factor.
1: But you have um, sweaty ears. There, well, there you go. There's your Joel fact of the day.
2: If you if you listen on the, ceiling, the headphones that seal you in for about an hour, uh, yeah, it gets hot in the headphones that seal your ear, and sure. Well, and the centers that I have are actually open on the outside, though. Okay, so the open ones, that was Sennheiser's big innovation. They were the only yeah, company that had that, was yeah. the sort of open kind of thing that sort of sits on your ear and doesn't, like, try to seal your whole ear in. And that well, was well, – they were also extremely lightweight compared to everything else that was available in the Well, actually, in, no, no in what I'm day. talking about is it goes over the ear, but it's actually open. So it's not
1: closed. I don't, I don't know if that's correct terminology, but, like, people can hear what you're listening to because right. it's sort of a mesh on the yep. ear side. But it does cover the entire ear. But I do prefer the open. I think it's a better sound. Right now, as far as op you know, whether it goes over the ear or on the ear, that's totally a preference.
2: I actually use the Bose uh, noise-canceling headphones to produce this podcast because um, there's a little bit of a hum in the office here, which uh, you guys can't hear because I remove it um, from the air conditioners and the ventilation and stuff like that. And, you know, various, who knows what fans and power supplies and stuff.
1: Do you like the noise-canceling stuff? I've never tried that. Is the active noise-canceling where it tries to generate yeah. the reciprocal
2: yeah. or whatever? Yeah, the sound? exactly. Oh, yeah. For, well, first of all, if you ever use that on an airplane, it's awesome. It, it really does um, make your flights seem much more pleasant. Um, uh, it makes it, like, possible to hear the movie. <laughs> it's just awesome. And okay. uh, if you're, you know, in this particular situation where I'm really trying to listen for noise and eliminate it, Uh, the noise-canceling headphones do a really good job of eliminating the ambient noise so that I can tell, you know, what the noise is on the track. Well, I think for programmers, too, this
1: particular, uh, because, I mean, this is the whole in-the-zone thing of, like, being able to sort of shut out the outside world a little bit, put on your headphones, and not have people bug you, and just do your work. Right. Um, I mean, I do that myself, and, you know, I don't really have, I work from home, so I don't really have people bugging me too much, although we do have
2: a four-month-old baby now, so that, he he bothers me occasionally. Yeah. (laughs) Well, just that's his job. And then you got to put another pickle into the into the barrel where he lives in the little hole that you made for him to eat through, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's some noise coming from that barrel, honey. <laughs> put in more sound insulation. <laughs> put another pickle
1: in the hole. Give him something to eat. That's right. Uh, so we also have news on uh, superuser.com. Oh yeah, uh, we're How's that in the final stages. Uh, we have a poll going on this site, Polls Boutique, which is. Yeah, let's see. It's funny because I had actually had an interaction with these people. This guy had mailed me um, talking about this site Paul's Boutique, which, by the way, is a pun on the Beastie Boys album Paul's Boutique,
2: like, explicitly. Because I asked him, I was like, is this a pun based on Paul's Boutique? Oh, I can't totally believe it, it is. My favorite, my favorite logo is, 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 is the number five. Yeah, it's getting – well, that, number three is doing a little bit worse. But, yeah, your, your choice was good. Oh, God. I see the numbers are not the numbers. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, mine yeah. is the, I like the um, Swiss Army knife. I thought that was really cute. I thought it really addresses what Super User is all about. You know, it's yeah, got a little be... USB thing there and a fork, which is cute. Yeah. And well, it's got uh, SU on it, which I think is important. Well, I wanted to put this up to
1: a vote because I felt there were a number of contenders that were all solid. Yeah. Like I, I felt like any of these
2: could potentially win I like them, but I really just couldn't decide. I don't and... get the glasses. Is that supposed to be like Clark Kent's glasses and they're taped is it like a well, combination of those like your, two things? It's, it's kind of like your stereotypical geek glasses. Uh-huh. Okay, forget it, it, that. That's just dumb. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <It's laughs> no, no, not it's, not, pro- it's not dumb. It's just not, so, it's not us. You know, it's, not, it's nothing. It doesn't speak to us. It's, it's glasses. It doesn't speak to what being the super user is all about.
1: Well, one thing I learned early on, and I might have touched on this in an earlier podcast, was the Daily WTF logo contest. Like, that scarred me for, for life. Like, seeing what won in the mm-hmm. Daily WTF logo contest... Mm-hmm. Um, is I that still there, there logo? are limits There are limits to what you can sort of crowdsource in terms of letting the crowd pick design stuff is really risky I think that, I don't know I, I, sure. I think you have to have people that have a background in design sort of make those decisions because otherwise you get some really strange uh, results so the intent here was you know, not necessarily to let the poll pick the winner but to and it provided really good feedback because the one that's winning, and I don't want to say which one it is, but the one that's winning, I didn't realize that so many people liked that one. Like I like that one too, but I was torn. And having this data helps me decide.
2: I, you know, there is a there is a problem. I think that that uh, I have a theory as to what causes the problem with crowdsourcing design, or in, in just in general asking people what they um, what they like in terms of design mm-hmm. is that the the what the people that aren't trained in design are going to go for the most familiar looking. So if you, if you, um, uh, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, if you show somebody five sets of silverware and say, which one of these sets do you like at, Would you like for, for, for your house as silverware? Most people who aren't trained in design and don't have a strong opinions about silverware or anything like that and don't even know how to choose, will tend to just pick the one that looks like the silverware they had growing up. Because that looks like, to them, the most canonical. you know. They're, 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 it's sort of like the, Coke, the problem with the whole Coke-Pepsi te- Coke taste tests. Mm-hmm. How they, they did the Coke-Pepsi taste test, and Pepsi was just winning every single time. So they changed the recipe of Coke to taste like Pepsi, and they called it New Coke. And people were infuriated, and they hated it, and they boycotted it, and they had to go back. And people still buy Coke, even though they know that in the direct one-to-one test. And it turns out that when people are actually testing Coke versus Pepsi... Um, not really knowing how to say which one they like, they simply tell you which one is sweeter. And it's the same because they're they're looking for something, some basis of comparison. And they don't really know which one they would want. But when they're trying to compare two things side by side, all they know how to do is tell you which one is sweeter. And the same thing happens when you go buy a plasma TV at the Circuit City, which thankfully no longer exists, or Best Buy, Mm-hmm. Which unfortunately still exists, and um, all the TVs are all cranked up at their maximum brightness, maximum contrast, because oh, people that's true. people don't know how to judge picture quality, and so when they're just comparing sixteen things side by side, they're going to go for the brightest one. That's a, that's a good point because you're right because God, I just actually upgraded
1: monitors recently. Mm-hmm. I uh, I decided I didn't really want larger monitors. What I want was slightly higher density. Like I. 1920 by 200. One one thing I do a lot of my monitors, I split windows, so I have windows side by side. Mm-hmm. Well, 1920 divided by two is like 960, mm-hmm. and the web, well, web is not really designed to work at 960 pixel width. So, you know, but it's no man's land. If you can't really have windows split down the middle, and it's just a big pain in the butt. But they have these monitors that are uh, 2048 by I don't have the exact resolution, but anyway, it's 1024. If you divide it, oh, by I two. see. So you can actually. And add when they it. came out of the box, they were like blindingly bright, right? Uh, Nobody – if yeah. you're using an LCD at the default brightness, which is always the max. Yeah, you're crazy. You're crazy. I mean, I turned them down to like 30. The newest – uh, yeah. A the little newest, too
2: bright. What they're, what they're mostly doing, what a good manufacturer will do nowadays most of the time with a plasma is um, they'll give you uh, – uh, they'll, they'll have multiple settings. It's like movie, whatever. And then one of them is a setting for th- watching sports. One of them is a setting for movies. And then one of them is a setting for like on display in the store. Mm-hmm. And you turn it on that, the stores know to turn it on that setting. And usually that's the one that you get out of the box that's turned on because if the store doesn't know, they still want to make sure that it's on the super. And it's just super bright, super high contrast. It's just meant to look good next to a bunch of other things in a heavily fluorescent lit, uh, you know, Target or Walmart or whatever. Right. No, that's it, a great
1: example. So, I mean, so anyway, those, are all, that, yeah, yeah, those are all examples.
2: Well, those are all examples of how people, when they don't, if you ask them to make a choice, and they're not really sure how to make the choice. They'll often pick something on a criteria that may be, you know, either most familiar or most bright, just something they're like, well, which of these is? They don't necessarily choose choose that well. So looking at this content, I sort of feel like the one that's winning right now, even though I like it, is the has the least personality of of all of them. I, th- I think that the. The, it's just it's just a um to the people that are listening you'll you can all, all go look at this uh there's a link to it from the from the blog but um it's a left square bracket and then a period and a right squiggly brace that looks sort of like a face and then it says mm-hmm. super user in two colors which is sort of our theme throughout the throughout all of our logos and i just feel like that one is um a, a little bit bland a little bit lacking in personality there's this little character with a left square whereas the other ones like the there's something kind of kind of cute and adorable about about the little uh um uh the swiss army knife there's a little character that's like superman but it's like pixelated so that's kind of cute too that's kind of a kind of reminiscent of the wally closing credits where they do that atari 8-bit graphic (laughs) do you remember do you remember that Mm -hmm. in the wally closing credits you can find that on youtube and um uh yeah but those ones with personality are kind of losing well, there there are some clear leaders. And I think if you go back to when we were
1: choosing the domain name, uh, Stack Overflow,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we, we put up a similar poll. And really what I was looking for is like, is anyone really pulling ahead? Is there any sort of statistical significance to the differences? And I think the worst case scenario would be they all have very similar vote levels. That means you haven't really done anything worth voting for, in right. my opinion. Right. Um, so as long as there's sort of a leader and and something that people are responding to, I do think that's a valid piece of data to use in making your decision. And I think here we have two logos that are kind of clearly pulling ahead from the rest, and those are both contenders. Um, and like I said, I don't, I don't feel like we have to pick the one that's winning the poll, but we definitely don't want to pick the ones that are clearly losing, probably. Right. right. That's my take on this. And I think that's, that's the way to crowdsource design at that level, is just to get feedback about what clearly isn't working, what clearly is working, and just use it as a very broad barometer, not pick this, right, but just, is it working? Um, and I'm if people get, can't uh, respond to
2: it, then yeah, you're, you've, you've kind of failed. So I'm going to go make a, it. looks like we have two that are working here, which yeah. is good. Yeah. So. Wait, I'm going I'm to hack this poll. I'm going to make a blog post on John software that just links <laughs> directly to voting for the one that I want. Are you really going to do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not. I'll probably just go with a crowd and we'll have the little square bracket and the right squiggly brace. Oh, it's not sakes. bad. No, it's no. not bad. I mean, I, all of these are, are, are excellent, uh, are very professional. You know, well, not according to some commenters on the blog. Some commenters on the blog are like, "Oh my god, these are all crap," and then they
1: go on to pick three logos that I think are all crap. So, you know, (laughs) no accounting for taste at some level. I don't know; it's very subjective. So, at some level, you're going to get what we pick, and we're just going to move on, right? We're going to build the site, right? Um, And I am very excited. So, give people an idea of timeline. They were asking about timeline. I envision us us putting um, superuser.com into private beta uh n- is it the first yet no that's tomorrow right yeah uh the first yeah so next month july sometime in july okay we're gonna have the the private private beta and then the way we usually do it so
2: meta awesome i have uh i have some questions to start asking
1: yeah yeah it's gonna be a fun site because almost anything will be allowed there as long as it's computer related how about broad. iphone if it's related to using the iPhone with a computer, yes. But if it's not compute, fully computer-related, then no.
2: Well, an iPhone is like a computer, right? Eh,
1: are we going to get into this already? <laughs>
2: yeah. There's already things that you're not allowing on, on superuser.com. Uh, the other problem with superuser, unlike Stack Outflow and server fault, you pretty much do have to say superuser.com because superuser is such a is, is, is such a common... It, it, it's a meaningful... It's a real word that people say all the time. Really? People say super user all the time? Yeah. Like, to, really? To, yeah, to refer to the 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 the, the account on Unix. Okay. I, w- I would think that would be more like a
1: system administrator thing. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't
2: think the average computer user would be saying super user all that much. No, but I mean, there are people who have to say it. And so we're yes, going to have to say super com. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe they say SU. Maybe it, it's... Maybe they say root or, root. or something. It, yeah. I think
1: root is what I usually hear.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, root I hear
1: all the time. You know, if we were root.com, I don't think we could afford that domain. But
2: <laughs> Yeah.
1: Oh, so uh, another uh, piece of Stack Overflow news. Okay. Uh, we did actually upgrade memory in our database server. So we went from 24 gigabytes to 48 gigabytes. Wait, um, why
2: did you get 48 then?
1: Well, because at the time, the 48 was a little bit more expensive. It's actually declined in price since we originally built the server. And second... No, uh, no, we're gonna why don't you...
2: You, just, you, uh, you wrote on Twitter that 48 gigabytes arrived on your doorstep, didn't you? Yeah, well, I just ordered it off Newegg. Okay, so if you already had 24, why don't you just get an additional 24? Why oh, because you it's buy full. 48?
1: Every slot is occupied. Oh, so you now got There's 24 around. 12 memory slots, around.
2: so it's 12 times 2. Now it's 12 times 4. Got it.
1: And we're going to use the old memory. We're eventually going to have another database server... Okay, so we'll we build you know, build up the same server. That server will have the old twenty four gigabytes of memory. So uh, the memory's not going to waste. It's just it's going to be probably by the end of the year we'll need another database server. I think. Did uh... yeah okay. I I have this memory fetish. Basically, I've developed over time because <laughs> a it's so cheap. I mean. Because forty-eight gigs of memory was what, like eleven hundred dollars? It's really just not that much in the big scheme of you know what we're doing. It's nothing. Now, no, it didn't, didn't we
2: discover that SQL Server was hitting its cache like nine 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 percent of the time anyway? So it wouldn't, is. Wouldn't it that is, inc- but we're also indicate adding that memory tons, wasn't help? Well, we're also
1: adding tons of databases. We've added Meta. We've added. We're going to add uh, Super User. Okay, um, fair enough. So the server is getting more and more used over time. Sure. And it gives you a ton of breathing room. Like If you if you, if you accidentally happen to write a query that's bad, <laughs> right. that doesn't actually use indexes the right way, um, a bunch of stuff gets paged out, kind of. Okay. Um, so it gives you a lot of flexibility with just not having to worry pretty much ever um, for a long, long time. We're just postponing us having to worry about database scaling even further. And we have another thing in our back pocket, uh, and we know we work with Brent Ozar on this, who's like a database ninja, uh, is database compression. Have you looked at this? This is new to SQL 2008. Uh, and when database you turn this on, the database is stored in memory compressed. Like all the stuff that that's normally would be cached is compressed then cached. So you pay a little bit of a CPU cost for this hmm. service, um, but it you know dramatically increases the effective memory space that you have, assuming you're storing compressible data. Now, if you're storing just a bunch of zip files in your database, then you're probably hosed. Right. <laughs> Or JPEGs or something like that that doesn't compress very well. But most database stuff is, you know, highly compressible. It's just a bunch of text.
2: Got it. Yeah, especially because it's probably all being stored in in actual uh, uh, UCS2 Unicode. Yeah, which means really, really every other I... byte is zero for, yeah, exactly. for English text.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we have that in our back pocket as well. So between having you know 48 gigs of memory now and the ability to flip on database compression, I think we'll be able to make it till near the end of the year before we have to worry about database stuff again. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I, too, I, I wrote this blog post about the, the plentyoffish.com. He bought a server with five hundred and twelve
2: gigabytes of memory. Yeah, did we ever hear anything bit. about that? Uh, Do we ever hear more about this other than that? No, article he that never really
1: followed up. You know, Marcus is too important to follow up with me.
2: Yeah, I don't rate in Marcus's world, sadly. Uh, so tell people fan. about uh, yeah the server. And Plenty of Fish and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so Plenty of Fish is, is kind of interesting to us because it's, it's built on the Microsoft stack, and it's like a top 10 website in the world. So it has just ungodly amounts of traffic. Like Our, our site is like just a blip on there that would be like right. an hour worth of traffic, maybe not even an hour worth
2: of traffic to them. It's probably the biggest uh, Microsoft site outside of Microsoft.
1: Yeah, the big, it might be. So we follow with great interest sort of – and it's, it's kind of like one guy, basically. It's just one guy, Marcus, with a few helpers is doing all this stuff. So mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating from that degree, is, uh, that side as well, is that you could run this humongous website just as a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find it very fascinating. And Marcus is kind of a, a, an interesting guy to follow on his little blog that he does. And he had mentioned that their site was getting so big. Uh, that being free was starting to get really expensive because he just needed so much infrastructure, so much hard drive space uh, to serve up all these requests. You know, he has to back up the data that free starts to get not look so good at a certain scale. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you can have a free service if it's just you on your server and, you know, a hundred people are hitting your site. Yeah, who cares? The cost of that is just, you know, pennies on the
2: dollar. That's what Malcolm Gladwell's article in this week's New Yorker is about. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. And um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about how he he. Beat, Malcolm Gladwell is basically reviewing Chris Anderson's new book. Free Chris Anderson's book. Free is the same speech that Chris Anderson has been giving the last three years, the editor of wired. And he keeps saying <laughs> since ever since he wrote the article in wired magazine and then gave that speech for three years and is now going to make a whole book out of this thing. The concept about how when things get close enough to zero cost, you might as well just round them off to zero, make them free. And, uh, um, the, the the book sounds terrible. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote an article just totally slamming this book. And the article itself that Malcolm Gladwell wrote slamming this book and the whole concept is <laughs> a, 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 almost, if possible, worse <laughs> than the book itself. Will inevitably be, although it's not out yet, so I haven't read it. Uh, it's coming out any minute now. Malcolm Gladwell, among other things points to a widely discredited Credit Suisse report on Google claiming that YouTube is costing them, I don't know, $500 million a year or something to operate YouTube with all the bandwidth that they're using. Mm-hmm. And that was just based on Credit Suisse's estimates of the average bandwidth cost times number of videos. Anybody who knows anything about the Internet's, well, about the operation of the Internet, knows that Google has peering agreements all over the place, and there's no way they're paying anything like that for their bandwidth. Um, wow. Because they're banned with benefits, you know the other side too. So they just have peering agreements, which are no settlement, right? They're free. So, uh, so, th- so this Credit Suisse report just keeps coming up again and again. And Now it's come up in the New Yorker where it was presumably fact checked. And it, like I say, anybody who knows anything about anything knows that that's just completely a, a a wrong fact.
1: Well, it's kind of like those reports about how much it cost Apple
2: to build the iPhone and those component breakdowns. Right, right. They break it down to the components, and then it's like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Apple does deals. Yeah, (laughs) they don't don't go to Newegg.com and order each individual component. Um, uh, uh, But anyhow, um, so uh, yeah, free uh, costs a lot when you have a lot of um, users. But if you actually look at plenty of fish, it's still pretty friggin' cheap. It it is friggin' cheap, and
1: I think he bought at the extreme high end. Which anytime, anytime you're buying something, there's like there's a continuum of pricing, right? And in the middle, there's like this sweet spot where you get a really good deal for like a really solid amount of stuff. Uh, and then if you buy at the extreme high end, you pay like this ungodly premium, like you're getting Ruby-encrusted servers, you know? Right. Um, and he actually bought at that level, because I think he felt like he needed to, but this, this server he's looking at, we, we just broke down the numbers, we're trying to estimate how much he paid for it, and we, it's got 512 gigs of memory, eight CPU sockets, uh, 16 drive bays, I mean, fully configured, we
2: think it's fully configured, um, six power supplies, <laughs> I don't think I don't think Dell even makes servers in that class.
1: Oh, this is an extreme enterprise server. Yeah, I mean right? it's I mean, it's, it's like, an HP. He said the but... base price is seventeen grand, like empty with right. nothing in it. Right, it's just for the case. <laughs> yeah, that's just for like yeah, that's just for like the the on switch. Uh, <laughs> oh, you get the on switch? I thought that was extra. I thought. <laughs> oh, that's right. No, it's a server. Sorry, the on switch is extra. It's sure. Like the drive rails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were pricing on the HP website. The most expensive yeah. configuration they sell is like I think thirty, I want to say forty thousand dollars. But it has like thirty two gigs of memory. It's like nothing in it. Um, so we think it's at like a hundred grand plus.
2: Okay. So this is. But the reason he's doing this is because he doesn't want to hire a whole bunch of programmers to uh, to have to um, yeah. shard his uh, database. Yeah. Is yeah, so that the right word? Right. Did I use shard correctly there? I, I think so. Boeviating? I
1: think so. So the concept of sharding the database is you, you split up some of the records are on server A, some of the records are on server right. B, and then servers A through Z, right? And each one has a different shard of the database. But this usually requires some pretty intense application-level changes because you don't really know where the data is at any given time. You have to, there's like a hashing function, basically. You have to have okay. some
2: logic, and then you've got to go put that everywhere. You know, this, is like, this permeates your code. It makes a big mess out of all your code.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any way to... Add, and I could be wrong, and I probably am wrong, actually, but I, I can't think of any way you could fully abstract that way where um, it just magically would work. right? Unless you started with one of the experimental data types like the uh, big table or whatever. Well, what happens if you, if start you use with SQL? Those, uh, yeah, yeah. Then you're kind of... You're on this path of just big iron. And I think a lot of the Microsoft solutions, when you start with SQL Server, and I'm a big fan of SQL Server, to be clear. I mean, we've had our issues with it, but basically it works great. But it's it's... There's not even in SQL Server a way to shard. Like, there's no Microsoft solution for, oh, just have 10 SQL servers and have them all... Well, they have, they have clustering. What does clustering do? But that's at the operating system level. That's not really at the the SQL Server level. So that gives you failover or something, but that yeah, doesn't give you... Yeah, it's not really the same thing as sharding. Because like, okay. I, I actually talked to Brent about this, and he said they have some solution they're coming out with in 2010 <laughs> kind of does this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in terms of traditional... Because when you look at the open source stuff, everybody... The the traditional mindset is build lots of cheap servers, right? Because you don't pay any licensing costs, right? Uh, But that doesn't work in the Microsoft world like at all. Right? (laughs) Like the numbers just break down horribly. Um, And then on top of that, like I said, SQL Server doesn't really have an out of the box. You know, throw a bunch of servers at the problem solution.
2: Right. So so he's, he's kinda, probably making the what, what I think is a very reasonable calculation which is he either has a choice of rewriting a lot of code which means hiring a lot of programmers or doing it himself because he probably wrote the original code himself. Well, he did actually hire one programmer I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. So this is the first programmer he's ever had other than himself. Exactly. So when you're making that kind of calculation like it's a big deal just to hire one programmer, then you know it it's cheaper it is actually cheaper just to throw money at the problem if you can if the if he can just spend a programmer's annual salary and buy a mm-hmm. Gigano server uh, and eliminate the need for that programmer's annual salary for you know a few years, um, why not? And there is the interesting thing about Plenty of Fish is there is sort of a maximum size, right, at some point. Every single person in the world is using it all day long, and that's as big as it ever has to get. So how much hardware do you need for every person in the entire world to be using his website all day long, or every single person? Did you see the uh, paper that came out about Twitter's architecture? Um, there was some
1: no. presentation they gave about it. Well, I haven't seen the full presentation, but I read a summary, um, and the summary said that they're pretty much storing everything in memory now. They don't even look at disk back as like relevant for them. Like they don't every there's like and one one thing I, one reason I believe this may be true is I occasionally. Uh, one reason I put stuff into Twitter is so I can find it later, if I think it's interesting. It's like a, a trail of breadcrumbs so I can find it. Oh, later. I
2: didn't even know this. the old stuff was in there.
1: It It is in there, but here's the trick. You can only go back to like, for me, it's like December 2008 or something. And then it's just like, that's it. It's gone. Yeah. And this is troubling to me because I actually kind of want my full, full Twitter history yeah. from like starting in 2006 when I started using the service. Well, there's a business opportunity for you. <laughs> but I think it's literally like impossible to get that data, and that makes sense in the context of this presentation because it said you know they're focusing on the last n months of data they're, and the rest just you know because they're keeping everything in memory, that's their strategy, so you can't have this
2: long tail anymore. Somebody listening to this podcast will make a service so you can sign up and it'll follow you on twitter well actually there there is a service like that, but oh. I think. Wow, but that was fast! You guys are great. You guys are great. I, I haven't even put it up yet.
1: <laughs> I can't remember the name. I'll, I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Somebody actually tweeted it to me when I was complaining about this. But it, it's it, it doesn't matter because Twitter itself,
2: there's literally no way to go further back. Like, right. you can't do it. Well, you can't get older stuff. But you could, you know, when you get on Twitter now, you could start. Yeah, back. if you get on Twitter yeah. now, you don't have to worry about back it. But yeah, it. It. I that's doesn't Who really cares? help. Who cares? It's such such nonsense that's on Twitter. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> are are, it's are like we going to tempor- do this rant now? <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. All right. <laughs> okay yeah if you and don't now, like it just scott. Uh, handsome is telling us that i'm not that if i think twitter is boring or a lot of work it's because i'm not following enough people well okay now, now we're getting into i object a little bit to some of the twitter discussion
1: because i feel like okay twitter is such a simple service that if we have to talk about it that much you're, you're missing the point okay i, mean, I am missing like, the point not you not you, I mean, you I mean the broad world <laughs> if there's a book like betsy was at the store the other day and she put on on twitter <laughs> a yeah. picture of this book like how do you use twitter it's like
2: 260 pages <laughs> i'm like really what what the hell? i was surprised when the, the how to use google book started coming out well no well that actually can make sense because there's some subtlety to google but twitter the whole point of twitter is that it's not subtle it's a very simple service that does a very simple thing and that's the whole hook i'm sure these so books like, are new york times business bestsellers right now because there's all these people that are like how the hell do i make money on twitter what's the point oh, where's where's shoot. the money to be made um, well, actually, did you see? Well, did you see that some artist was saying that she uh,
1: she sold thirty thousand records. Somebody from the Dresden Dolls sold thirty thousand records, and made effectively zero dollars, I guess, because of the fees and the stuff like that. But had these impromptu concerts and T-shirts and stuff. She had looked, talked about it on Twitter and made like nineteen thousand hmm. dollars. So it is you you laugh, but I mean, I don't think it's limited to Twitter. But basically, reaching people through the web versus traditional distribution deals. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so uh, that was an interesting data point. Actually, I think I got that from Play. Like, where did I get that from? I can't remember. But anyway, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes.
2: As well. You want to take a listener question? Absolutely, let's do it.
1: Hi, Jeff and Joel. This is Lloyd. Thank you for Stack Overflow and the blog. Really, really appreciate it.
2: You're welcome. My
1: question has to do with leaving a company and what's reasonable to take with me. I'm I'm leaving a company working for a competitor that's not even in the same business.
2: Okay, so I want to first of all, working for a competitor that's not in the same business is it a competitor. Or is it not a competitor? Mm. Let's assume it's not. But okay. I want to take the code base
1: that I've worked on for the past few years at my current company with me. This is probably illegal, yes. but is it really that bad if I don't plan to sell it to anyone or give it away. I use it as a reference point for my personal projects and to answer questions at places like Stack Overflow. So I'm just wondering what experience you've had with situations like this and what advice you can give. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, no, that would be illegal. Well, what he's describing, like you said, doesn't make sense. Is it a competitor or is it not a competitor? Because I think that totally changes the tone of the question. I mean, if you're going to
2: some other industry where they don't give a crap about this right. coat, then sure, I, I could say. No, that. No, it doesn't I, matter what the great. industry he's going to gives a crap. It's, it's what his current employer... If his, is, the, the real question is, is his current employer going to care and well, there's that's an easy I'm way saying. to find out. Just go ask. Just say, is it okay if I keep a copy of the source code on my hard drive for like, looking up well, and stuff like that? okay. And well, if they say entirely. no, well, then they care. And they have yeah, every right to they, care because they own it.
1: But that's like a knee-jerk reaction. Companies always say no to everything. Yeah. It's just like, can I just No, no, no. I mean, no is like the <laughs> default answer in a lot of companies. I mean, you just learn not to ask because people are – Well, you're dick.
2: breaking the law. Now, well, now, there is one thing I should say which people should generally understand. Um, well, that well wait 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 where's wait 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 where's the concept of personal responsibility because I totally agree that if you're actually working for a competitor and using the code from a competitor that's so weird that's like clearly no you signed a specific agreement against that that's just that's just obviously evil but he's not he's I, I think he said it's not a competitor by which he means it it's not that he's going to use. It's not like he's taking code from employer A to employer B. He just wants to have it on his hard drive so that when he wonders, like how to append two lists to one another in Erlang, he can, you know, find that function where he did that in the old source code and then basically copy that. That's what that's what I think. I assume he's talking about. Well, yeah. Well, in that case, I mean, as long as no harm is done, then I think the the intent is correct. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go along with you this time, Jeff. If it doesn't matter if harm is done, it's it's. Uh, it, the question is, if they caught you and sued you, would you go to jail? And the answer is yes. But they, there's how would they catch you? I mean, this is, oh, well, this, is okay. now, you know, uh, this is a victimless crime.
1: This is a victimless crime. I mean, as long as it's a victimless crime, as long as you can legitimately make a case to another programmer. Yeah. That describe what you're doing and say, does this. Is this a So it's like crime? it's like smoking pot, <laughs> exactly. Then it's okay. But if you describe it to the program, like I don't know, man, that's a little weird. Then you probably shouldn't do it. I, I would say, does it pass the? Can I explain it to my friend? and Not have the or wife, it, it, substitute wife. Just sometimes that. when when I'm want to figure out if what I'm doing is like weird, I'll, I'll tell it to my wife, Betsy. And if she goes, whoa, that's weird, then I know that I'm. My head's in the wrong place.
2: <laughs> if you're even asking this question, us, you know that there's something fishy here, right? There's, there's one thing I should, we, should, we should mention, and I think this is a little bit off topic, because you've got you to gotta check what your relationship was at your current gig. Now, a lot of people um, uh, get jobs as programmers and don't sign any kind of contract uh, at all. And if you have a gig as a programmer and you have not signed the contract, then you own the code that you wrote, and they merely have a license to it that's surprising to people but if you get a job as a programmer and you never signed anything then by default any code you write for that employer is the copyright is owned by you which is why um the uh almost every gig you're going to get as a programmer is going to make you sign a contract that says this is a work for hire and work for hire is a legal phrase magic abracadabra that means that the employer owns the work that you do and you're merely doing it for hire to get paid. And the reason you need that contract is that in the United States and just in general, the way that the law defaults the ownership, even though you got paid and that was your job, if you don't have any agreement, they, they, you're, you're, you're giving them code that they merely have a license to use. So the same thing actually, it surprises people about photographers. If you hire a photographer to come take pictures at your wedding and you don't sign anything and the photographer comes and takes pictures of your wedding, uh, you get to use those pictures, but you don't get to sell them. And the photographer still owns them, and those pictures are going to show up in, you know, wedding photography illustrated next month. And the photographer is getting making money off your wedding f- photographs. That's completely legit.
1: No, that's a great point. I, I think you should understand the law,
2: even yeah. if you don't agree with it. Or, I mean, I think that's important because it's the whole ignorance is not a defense thing. It's also important if you're hiring programmers to make sure that you get them to sign a standard employment agreement. And the easiest way to do this is to, to go to NOLO Press uh, and get their book on on uh, software development and get their standard or, or web development. They have one for web development. And uh, it comes with a little CD-ROM and it's got you can download it, actually. And it's got all these standard contracts and you can take a totally standard contract. And um, among other things, it'll explicitly say, you know, the work that you do is a work for hire. And that's really, really important. That's why... Uh, unlike mcdonald 's employees, software developers are almost always working under a contract as opposed to just you know common law i got a job because um, mm-hmm. it 's really important for the employer to own the code that the employee writes well you 're creating things I mean, that's... yeah that 's why you got hired and so it makes sense but Unfortunately, if you went to a judge and and if the employer was unable to come up with a contract, so you should check if you signed a contract when you started working there, and a lot of companies that aren 't in the intellectual property field, you know, if it's a trucking company, they might not have been completely aware of this, and uh, it, and they might not have made you sign a contract saying that it's a work for hire, and then you would be totally in the clear. You can take right. it with you. You can sell it to other people, too. Probably shouldn't, because cool. that'll piss them off. <laughs> well, that was, that, was a good, that was a good question. Do we have another question? Uh, you know, we got some, but they're not so good. Here, I'll let's... Well, nah. no, no, no. We 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 don't have to do that because I have a topic, and I think it might take a little time. Let's do a topic. I don't have any any. So the topic I want to talk about was that what came up
1: was uh, open sourcing Stack Overflow code. Now this is now to be clear, this is not something to happen tomorrow, or even next week, or even this year, or even or even maybe next year, but eventually, I am very much for it because I feel like that is how code event if you want code to survive in the larger world eventually i believe in the current climate you have to open source it so the windows only path that is dead essentially yes i would agree with that the absolutely. iphone
2: operating system dead mm, well the, phone,
1: the iphone's a little bit different because it's such a closed ecosystem but in an in, a, in an ecosystem of where anybody can build and anybody can jump in and participate and it's essentially no cost to entry the cell phone market is not a no cost to entry market <laughs> Um, mm. It's a pretty much closed ecosystem. But uh, the PC is definitely a, anybody can play. There's no charge ecosystem. And I think in that ecosystem, I think open source is, is kind of winning. And you yourself linked to the, the article by, uh, uh, oh gosh, Kent Beck, talking about how he can't make money anymore. I did not
2: link to that. You linked to that. <laughs> uh, I linked to that. Sorry. I linked to that. <laughs> You're confusing me and you again. I know. I always do that. So I linked to that. Sorry. Remember, I'm the good-looking one.
1: Yes, that's right. I linked to that. Why would I link to that? I don't know. I linked that. Uh, but he I think it was the, the, the subtext of that that article was that the open source stuff is kind of undercutting a lot of his his, his efforts to make money even. Um
2: so well, that's because he's ignoring making dinky little developer tools, to be honest. He's making developer he he the 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 uh, the, the quote unquote product that Kent Beck makes. Mm-hmm. I, actually we should we should we should figure out what that is before I Yes, that might be good. I, I was just making a broad comment J, about... J, is it JUnit? No. It's not JUnit, is it?
1: Okay, well, let, let, me, let me take this one higher level up. The only point uh. I'm trying to make, and it's a very minor one, is that the stuff that everybody has access to is the stuff that has power in the world. Accessibility and people being able to get to you ends up being the most important com- competitive advantage you can have in the long term in software. So with that in mind, the more people that can get to the Stack Overflow code, the better chance that code has to, you know, evolve and live and survive. So I think it it has to happen at some point. And like I said, not not this month, not, not even this year, maybe not even next year, but eventually I'm very much for this. Now, the thing that makes it weird is that you guys are doing uh, a hosted version of Stack Overflow.
2: Yeah. We're spending uh, I mean we're gonna be spent we're gonna spend a, a ton of money. Like fifty, sixty dollars on like making this a product. What? Right? No, no, we hired a whole person. So, you know, it just in the first year, and plus all the servers and stuff that we're going we're to buy and stuff like that, probably in the first year, uh, we might spend $150,000. Um, well, right. And, and actually, somebody asked
1: me on Twitter, they're like, well, wouldn't this overlap completely? Wouldn't this overlap completely? The open sourcing overlap completely with the hosted version of Stack Overflow? Yeah. And I might gut feeling is actually no, because I think you have two really distinct markets there. You have the people that don't want to pay anything ever for, for the software. And those, for those kind of people, it's great, because there's no other way they would use Stack Overflow code anyway. If there's any barrier whatsoever, they're like, ah, to heck with it, I'm not going to use this thing. But they have infinite time. They can just spend all their time trying to get it to work, improving and all that stuff. And then you have the other audience, they, they don't care, they just want it to
2: work. Like They want a one-click make-it-work-for-me solution. See, the thing is, though, if, if we open-source Stack Overflow, there are 400, 400 hosting companies in the world that are mm-hmm. good, and 40,000 that are crappy. And those 400 good ones will go take the open-source thing, and they'll make it work. And so oh, you now, think the actual hosting companies themselves would start turning it into a product offering? Yeah, of course.
1: Okay, I didn't really think about that. I was thinking more of like individual companies that wanted the Stack Overflow solution would, would go out and implement it. On right. Well, they're,
2: they're gonna, there's going to be a category. Of, as, long as, as long as somebody can just assemble these things by mm-hmm. taking the open source thing and pr- providing it, then the value of the hosting goes down to the actual – the price of the hosting has to go down to its cost, however mm-hmm. much it costs. If the software is free, then the most, the most I can charge. I mean, as soon as there's competition, we're all going to be lowering our prices until we get down to charging literally just for the bandwidth and the electricity and the air conditioning. And right. once we're competing on that, there's no there's no profit in there, and we. Well, well, but but, but wait a minute. What about into... like
1: stuff like WordPress and Movable Type, where that stuff's open source? But you know, they those companies themselves yeah. make money having hosted versions. So how is that even possible?
2: To, to as they, a first business, of all, from what you're describing. Uh, uh, okay, I don't know these companies all that well. Movable Type is um, is not the same as TypePad, which is the hosted service that they provide, and so if you just take movable type and offer movable type hosting, you're not giving people as good a service as TypePad or Vox. They're, they're two products. Uh, the, but couldn't the, you make that case about us as well? Like, certainly you guys have
1: a hand in the code. I mean, you helped us create Well, it. if you want to a- make an
2: open source version of Stack Overflow that's, a, that's, that's substantially less good than the hosted Stack Overflow that we provide, that would be a different story. But if you're talking about just open sourcing it, that would be the same story. Hmm.
1: Um. One side note to the open sourcing story is that I do think that for .NET code, if you're going to open source it and you want it to get traction in the world, I mm-hmm. do believe it has to run under Mono. Like you can't, because a lot of people really object to the stack. In other words, they object to not our, when I say stack, I don't mean our code, but I mean
2: the Microsoft stuff you need. Yeah, they won't, They work. just won't. They're not even. They're not even in that mentality, really. They're. They're. You're. You're looking at different people. Yeah. The, the, so the, I think. Yeah.
1: If we were going to do this, like priority number one would be we'd have to take – it probably wouldn't take very long, maybe a week at most, because uh, Mono actually does support link, link to SQL. Hmm. Obviously, they don't, you can't actually use SQL. I mean, if you want to go all free software, you'd have to rip out SQL Server and replace it with MySQL or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the link pieces and all the, the ASP.NET MVC – all that stuff is supported through Mono. So I don't think that would actually take long to set yeah. up. And actually, that might be the kind of thing when you release it as open source, somebody would actually take that and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to help you guys. I I don't want to use SQL Server, so I'm going to contribute my time and put in my SQL bindings. Yeah,
2: I, th- I think what you find is that you find that in the open source world, the people are just of a different religion, and you're selling them water and oil here. and the, well, They just, they just uh, look at that, and they say that's .NET, and I know I could get it to run under Mono, but… Uh, I, I want well, an all. I think PHP these are very ver-
1: different. Uh, this is kind of my argument. I think these are such different audiences. You know, the, the people that don't want to pay anything versus right. the people that say, you know what, I want convenience. Totally different audiences. Like, I don't think one really undercuts the other to any significant degree. I just, I
2: think that I think mean, that, I think that of- if we were were to, I think that if we were to open source um, the Stack Overflow code, that would undermine the Stack Exchange business. In the, the of, short of term. Well, whatever, it would just not no longer be a viable business. Period. I, don't, I don't. It would know. be I, I as viable, you know. It would be as viable as any other kind of hosting business. Mm. It would just be like yeah. one of those commodity providers of like I give you ten inboxes for one hundred six dollars, and then the next person says I'll give you ten inboxes and you know free access to FTP for ninety eight dollars, and that's just it's just a race to the bottom, and the people that win are the people that have ginormous scale and huge. Funds and they haven't even won yet. And you know, it's the, 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 these gigantic companies like One in One that have the six dollar web hosting package. They're going to mm-hmm. add Stack Overflow to that for because it costs them zero.
1: Zero. But then how can, but I don't understand. Again, I got to go back to my uh, movable
2: type and, and yeah. WordPress. I mean, how can those even exist as businesses? I each, do right? not know how much money either of them make. Those are private companies. Okay. And, they, and but they, they have investments. But, but so I, I, don't, I don't know how much not, they make.
1: I don't know. I, I, I don't agree with what you're saying. I, no, I, I want to set expectations. I, I, I don't for CS open sourcing anytime real soon. But it is something I do want to get to. And it sounds like you're kind of against it because you think that it would kill the hosted version, which I actually don't think it would. Yeah. But, I mean, this well, is a discussion. You haven't possibly.
2: given me a basis for, for why it wouldn't kill the hosted version to basically make all the, that product available for free for anybody who wanted to host it. I mean, it would re- literally take somebody somebody who already had a hosting environment, like an ISP, literally mm-hmm. take, if, it was, if the thing was really open source, I mean, it would take them a day and they'd be up and running. Uh, and, and it would be, you know, totally. So I I think it would kill that business. And, and the only circumstance in which I I would really consider that is if it turns out that hosting stack exchange, stack exchange or stack overflow type sites for people was not really a a very good business. Like if we just discovered that 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 not that many people want it and it's not very cost effective and that's not a very good business and there is a good business in stack overflow itself, then, um, you know, and we just decided to sort of abandon that business, then we might, you know, you, you might want to just say, all right, fine, let's just make it open source because we don't care about that particular part of the business. Okay. But right well, now, I'm very much not thinking that that's a bad part of the business. I actually think that, um, you know, we have a lot of people signing up for Stack Exchange sites, um, 55 based on, and we haven't really mentioned it anywhere, you know? So, well, I think at some level, too, you have to look at, okay, so eventually people clone whatever
1: you have. Yeah, there um, will be a clone so, that will come out. Yeah, Right, so why? At some level, you might might as well just beat them to the punch and clone yourself. You know, you control. It's like you you're taking control of the situation. You're saying, well, why clone when you can have the you know the real
2: thing? Um, yeah, I, I don't mean, really you, see the argument. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. I don't. Well, say somebody came because with a until perfect they clone. clone. It, yeah. When, they, when, they, when somebody comes up with a perfect clone, then we'll still have a marketing advantage of being able to say, we have the same code that runs on Stack Overflow, and there's going to be a group of people that say, you know, this gives me confidence and makes me feel happy about getting this particular branded version, even though it's just like, you know, Exxon versus BP, it's all the same oil, right? But but there are people that just have the one that they like for some reason. And so we'll have a brand advantage there, and that brand advantage is going to be worth enough money that I think it'll be worth doing, even when there are clones. Uh, but if there was no brand advantage, because all we were doing is host, hosting, so it's basically like email inboxes. It becomes a commodity because everybody has the same code, exactly the same server. Then all you're really competing on is, you know, price. And that, and when you're only competing on price, that's called a commodity market, meaning you, there's no profit left in there. They can't make a profit because everybody lowers the price until the person who has the cheapest costs. Which is not the person with a nice office space in New York City with a fancy Class A office in New York City is not the person with the cheapest cost. That's going to be rack space based in Dallas or One and One, which is a German company, I think.
1: That's going to be me. I'm going to be here hosting it in my uh, bedroom here.
2: Yeah, go for it. You got very low cost there. <laughs> my costs are unbelievably low. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Well, good discussion. I just want to cover it, and uh, again, just to be clear, yeah. it's not something we're gonna do now or even real soon. But yeah. I would like to go to it Joel's against it. So. Uh, we'll see what happens in like a year. Well, we're going to have a f-
2: <laughs> we're going to have a a fight on the podcast next week <laughs> <laughs> with Mexican boxing Mexican wrestling costumes. Yeah, cool. We'll have gordo.fufus.net come in <laughs> and,
1: and wear, wear his little mask and, yeah. So, do we have any Stack Overflow or server fault questions we wanted to highlight this week?
2: Um, okay, let's see. Michael Gorsuch writes. Oh, holy crap! He's built a Stack Overflow clone. <gasps> Look at that! He's got it, it up and running. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, okay, so we have the first Stack Overflow clone running at Fog Creek now. Oh, cool. It's uh, it's on our local internet. I think he's running it on a VM. That he's so so. Uh, um, that actually makes me enthusiastic that the Stack Exchange thing is going to be up well b- before. September 1st. Well, yeah, you, you guys have a deadline, right? September. I was surprised at yeah. your little web page there. You actually put a date on it. Yeah, we will definitely be at least in beta by September 1st, and beta meaning you can make public betas and stuff like that. And and I base that on the fact that, you know, as of today, we can create these sites. So in the worst-case scenario, we just knock out a lot of them manually. Um, well, since we don't have a, a
1: Stack Overflow or Serverful question, I have a little writer question I'd like to add, which sure. I believe that the code you guys have, because you're going to be selling to individual clients, is going to – there's going to be a – that there's, there's going to be forking going on here that I think is inevitable. Forking. I that, think, that, which yeah, isn't a sort bad, of bad, but I think that you guys have a very – you're going to have a very different audience
2: that we have on the public internet. You and mean I the kind of the people thing, that are making Stack Exchange sites are going to want different features different than the people that are actually on StackOverflow.com. Or, or super user, or yeah right. absolutely. I believe this in my heart of hearts to be true. Yeah, I, um, I believe it, that they're going to be, the, code, the code is going to slightly diverge, but I don't want it to actually be mechanically a fork unless that becomes absolutely essential, just because you know I'd rather have features that are if-deft out on your side and features that are if-deft out on our side, so that when there is something that is beneficial to both sides, it only has I to be written once. I just can't
1: see us, I don't know, that just seems so hard to maintain. I, I really? If it's if-deft out, what if we change something? We wouldn't even know if we broke it. Because yeah. you would un-if-def it, and then it would break, and then we would. Why would we ever? Dude, uh,
2: you, the power of Mercurial. You would send us the pat. You would send us the diff, and we would look at it. And if it was okay, we would accept. And if it wasn't, we wouldn't. That's all, that all. It all takes. So what mm-hmm. we wind up with actually, it's sort of the the power of distributed version control is that you can pretty safely um, have kind of two repositories and send each other f- fixes and you know send each other patches and ignore some patches and accept others. I guess that's forking, huh?
1: I think you guys are going to fork. I mean, I think it's... Maybe I'm just a pessimist, and it might be just my my pessimism uh, showing its ugly head, but I... I can't think of any way this is going to work as let's, a single.
2: Case. Let's well, let's take some. I mean, what are some of the examples of things where you see needing? Well, to,
1: number uh, one, login because OpenID for us is you know we're committed and our login strategy is tied to that. But I do not think that makes sense for your audience. Really, at you all. don't think I can require people to use OpenID? I I think you can, but number one, I think Michael Pryor will hate you, and number two,
2: he's actually right <laughs> in the in the scenario that he that you guys are going to have. He is absolutely. I agree with Michael. Now. So we need to provide another on method that's yes. not OpenID. I believe that is absolutely So let's true. say that we write some code that looks like, that looks like a regular logon system, like the, the, the ASP.NET membership provider, for those of you that are familiar with that. And basically, you're generic. You provide a username and password, make your account, change password. I forgot my password. We, we write that generic code. And under the covers, it, it's, it's actually using OpenID internally. And so it's basically a blob of code that's calling into your code base. And as far as the main code base, cares. It's just another open id provider. And as far as we're concerned, we're, we're we're actually kind of hiding that. And so you've got this isolated piece of separate code that provides login log out services which just doesn't show up in the interface on stackoverflow.com and does on Stack Exchange.
1: I think that's going to be really become really difficult to maintain
2: over time. Well, not if you, A- I mean if you have very very clearly defined interfaces. But and we you don't. modularize that. That's, that's, well, we can do that. I, well, we, can, we can help you with that. So we take, we take the whole login. We take the whole identity provider, um, whatever that may be, and we isolate that in a single class. And then we have ooh, dependency injection. So we've basically oh, but, got two classes that provide membership or identity.
1: And but you're we add, use one okay. and we use the other.
2: Right, right. No, I'm all for us working together, but I think you're going to add abstractions to our code that... We don't care about like I yeah, but tough that you take them because it's going to benefit you, and the way it's going to benefit you is later. How is that going to benefit me? Because later, when I write that code to fix your spell checker bug, you can just you can just take that, and the code still it still works, right? So when there is something for, for the eighty percent of the site that we're sharing, the functionality that we're sharing, all you got to do is you know you just take the patches.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I think there's. A, I don't think this is going to work out in practice. I mean, not because you guys are doing anything wrong, but because the audiences are just too different. It's like arguing that I can have an iPod that works for, you know, three radically different uses. You know, and I, I don't think that's sustainable product design. I think that your audience is so different from ours that serving your audience is going to move us away from our audience hmm. actively. Maybe I'm a pessimist. uh, Maybe I'll be proven wrong. And obviously, we're going to try to make this work. I'm not saying this because I want to fight you. I'm just saying it because in my heart of hearts, I do not believe it's going to work that way. That's what you're describing. uh, But
2: I, I, I would love to be proven wrong. I feel like people always regret forking.
1: Oh, absolutely you regret it. I mean, I'm not saying I want to. Nobody wants to fork. I'm just saying, in this case, I can't see any other way of it happening in practice. But... We'll see. And like I said, I would love to be proven wrong. I'm not, not, not going to fight you on this. I'm going to work with you, but I just want to register my pessimism in advance.
2: It's pouring here. <laughs> it, it rained almost every day in June. This is like the, is like the wettest summer on record oh, wow. for New York City. Wow. Um, absolutely friggin' miserable weather. That's a bummer. Huh. Anyhow. Um, well, I am looking forward to the the launch of the Stack Exchange. So that's going to be, and and you're committed to that name now. Uh, you know, I just don't. Yeah, I'm one of those people that doesn't care that much about names because I know that they eventually just become syllables in your head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just not. Uh, I, if if I could find a better name, I would. I like. I kind of like Stack Exchange. We do know that. Um, uh, I, I, I'm I'm interested in promoting the the term knowledge exchange because we we know there are going to be clones of this thing uh, all over the place. Uh, you know, there's going to be the open source PHP version of this that, that, that everybody else is going to be using that's not very good if we're lucky and um, I just want to make sure everybody's calling this a knowledge exchange uh, as, the, as the generic term for what this category of software is mm-hmm. um, so I like having the, the word exchange in there and <clears throat> so that leads us to and we also want to make a connection back to Stack Overflow what about the word sex do you have the word sex in there oh yeah that'd be cool Okay, cool.
1: Yeah. yeah. Sex, I mean sex makes everything better. Just stack exchange is
2: just s.ex. That's going to be a, <laughs> that's going to be short for stack exchange. s-ex.com. S <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our dreams have finally come Can true. Can we buy ex.com? E I don't know who.
1: No, 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 s dash. You put the dash in there cuz that makes <laughs> it
2: cheaper. Oh my god, look at that. You could buy ex.com. It's a it's a squatter. Um wow s I think you probably can. <gasps> oh, <Uh-oh.
1: laughs> that's a squatter, too. Are you, are you too. registering it now?
2: It's a squatter, too. Yeah, And it's, got, it's all men, too. It's all pictures of naked men. Okay. Uh, stackexchange.com has a sign-up form on it. Um, and just to our listeners know, basically, um, we're, we're going to have a limited number of people that can, that can get these sites in the early days when we're doing a beta and so uh, the sooner you sign up the more likely you are to be one of the first people that are given an opportunity to make beta Sack exchange sites Um, there's no commitment to filling out that form it just goes in a google spreadsheet somewhere
1: cool well i'm looking forward to it and i am definitely also looking forward to working with you guys uh, on your end of the code so hopefully we can share improvements yeah that would be nice um, uh, so mm-hmm. let me let, let me actually take us out since you always do the podcast summary. Okay, good, because I have no
2: idea what, <laughs> what I would say.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have it up in front of me for once. So if you would like to submit a question to the podcast, and please do. If you have a good question, uh, we ask that there are 90 seconds or less. Please mention your name. Mail it to podcast at stackoverflow.com up to 90 seconds of, I think, MP3 or Og warbus uh, format. And then if you don't want to do that, you can just call. We have a dedicated phone number. It's 646 Eight two six three eight seven nine. You can leave questions for us there under the same parameters. We also have a community wiki we use to so people who can't actually hear the podcast can read transcriptions of it, and that will be linked from the show notes. And we encourage everybody who's interested to participate there. Uh, anything else that I left out, Joel? That's it. See you next week. See you next week.
2: You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky.
0: The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of The Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.